when the Doctor and Leela land aboard a sand miner, the crew believe them to be responsible for a murder that has happened aboard. As more crew members continue to be killed, the Doctor begins to suspect that the main culprits could be the robots that help run the miner. Can the Doctor figure out who's responsible for it's too late? This is the Robots of Death. Welcome to Regenerated. generation of killer robots about Ivanov. The killers are controlled by Tarot Capel, and D84 is controlled by Poole. These two are undercover agents for the company. Hello everyone and welcome back to Regenerated. I'm Matt and I'm joined as always by my wonderful wife Becky. Hello. Hello and this week we have the Robots of Death. So there's no, again, once again, there's no Doctor Who news. So we go straight into the robots of death. So, as always, Becky, what did you think of this week? Well, they didn't exactly look like your standard robots. Because before, when we've had, like, the things, like the Chubblies, mm. um, or the Chumleys, or whatever they were, and then the squarey things, and anything else you'd kind of... Imagine as being a robot. Yes, they're very, very different. More like androids, I would say. Well, that's the thing. I did get a feeling of sort of autons, but then I was like, nah. But then I didn't. But then it was like, well, I'm more sort of towards Cybermen. But then still no. Um, Alright. Yeah, so not really your typical robots, you would say, this week. Not really, but then what I did kind of think of when we were sort of looked at them, in a way it was kind of like the, there was something Grecian about them in a way, mm. but then there was something sort of Romanesque about them, but then, you know, a lot of the Roman stuff comes from Greece anyway, but, well, for anyone who knows their history anyway, and, but then in another way it was like, I kind of got sort of um, a sort of sea creature vibe. Mm. Yes. You know, kind of like the Salarians. Yep. Well, I'll just get the uh, little... little. Especially the green ones. Yeah, we'll get the little logistic bits away, uh, out of the way and then we'll go straight into the story and little bits stood out. So, like I said, The Robots of Death, 29th of January to the 19th of February, 77, written by Chris Butcher, and he did last week's episode, which was The Face of Evil, which we thought wasn't actually that great, but boy, has he made up for it, I think, this week. And directed by Michael Bryant, and he's done um, a few bits now. He's done The Colony in Space, The Sea Devils, The Green Death, Death to the Daleks, Revenge of the Cybermen. And this is actually his last serial that he... Um, what in space? Colony. 
See, ever since that episode, I've got it right now. So yeah, funny and, enough. And uh, yeah, this is the last serial that he directed. And in the poll, um, I think people won't be surprised to hear this came in at a very high number eleven, and this was four episodes. So uh, quickly, I'll go through the synopsis, and then we can deep dive into it. So it says the fourth Doctor and Leela land aboard a sand miner whose crew believe them to be responsible for a murder. As the crew continue to be picked off, the Doctor begins to suspect that the sand miners' robots may be responsible for the murders. So, like we said, basically there's a sand miner, a sand miner that's obviously basically mining for ore, I think they say, isn't it? Um, because obviously it's all about money and it's got a human... Um, a human crew, but also has like the hired help, as it were, which are these bunch of robots, and they're in three different categories, aren't there? There's like the the um, they got like numbers on them with letters. They had like a D, so it was like a D eight four. He was a quite a prominent person, uh, prominent robot in the in the story. You got like an S, which is like SV seven. Which who's the hierarchy? Which yep, and then there was just a V, wasn't there? So yeah. they are um, actually called dumbs, which cannot speak. They're, no, the D's are the dumbs. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There's dumbs that can't speak. There's a pale green one that's called the Vox, obviously it can speak, and there's a silver Super Vox. Well, so, yeah, V's obviously Vox, and obviously SV's a Super Vox. Yeah. So it's a bit hard to uh, explain what they kind of look like. Like you say, you try to do it a little bit there, but unless you see a picture of them, you can't really, you know, it doesn't really do justice to what they actually look like. But they are obviously robots. They've got wide eyes, look like a human, basically a human face, but the lips don't move. So I think that adds a, a, a another element of the creepiness, or as Leela calls them, creepy, uh, what is it, creepy, creepy mechanical men, I think is what she calls them. And they've got like a sort of like a headpiece, which is there, it's supposed to be like hair, but it's obviously like for the camera, it looks very plasticky. Yeah. Um, and then they're obviously whoever designed these had um, stocks and shares in quilted padding material because they're all made out of this sort of quilting um, material. Uh, and like I said, there's, I, I think isn't the dumbs, they're sort of like um, a sort of, uh, they are like a darker green. They kind of look black on the, on the show. but Yeah, they do kind look of... black, but I can't differentiate whether they were actually a really, 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 really dark green or whether they were just black. Yeah, it's a little bit difficult to tell on the actual the show. So there's a little bit of foreshadowing at the very beginning because uh, the crew are sort of talking about robots and this sort of stuff and about robots um, going amok, you know, and turning on their owners and all that. So there's a little bit of foreshadowing we get at the very, very beginning. Yeah. And obviously that's kind of what happens. It's kind of like I find that the sort of crew of this sort of sand miner, they're kind of like living a little bit of luxury, to be honest, while they've got these sort of robots to do all their dirty work for them. Um, yeah. And there's a nice little, uh, when we first see the Doctor and Leela, there's a nice little bit where Leela's trying to sort of mess about with the yo-yo. I thought it was quite quite a little um, sort of throwback a little bit because obviously we know that the Doctor likes to mess about with the yo-yo. He says to test the gravity, I think he said before, but Leela sort of thinks it's sort of a game, sort of magic sort of thing, um, which I thought was a nice little moment there. And then we get like um, another one of them sort of um, Doctor explains the workings of the TARDIS. So as I said in last week's 
serial, we obviously got introduced to Leela, and she's very, I said, innocent, because she's from a tribe, she doesn't really understand the inner workings of the world, where she's not like a Sarah Jane, who's kind of a little bit more tuned in, she is very much like, like she calls the robots creepy mechanical men, that sort of innocence, Uh, so the Doctor has to explain the sort of, how the TARDIS works. Do you think the explanation that the Doctor did was quite a good one? suppose he basically gets two blocks and he asks uh he's got a big he's got a big box and a small box and he asks leela which one's the bigger box and she says what's the big box and then he actually i thought they're about the same size but you know i don't know because he asks her which one's bigger and she says well that one but if they're both the same size why is one they'd both be the same but anyway i think he gets a big box and a small box some people can always perceive something as being slightly bigger when it's not well, how the way he sort of describes it is he um, basically puts one of the boxes on the, the console of the TARDIS and then he moves next to Leela further away from it and he holds it up and says, now which one's bigger? And that one, if basically if they're stretched far enough apart, they can actually fit inside each other and that's kind of the premise of the TARDIS. No, the, the big one could fit inside the small one. Yeah, and that's obviously the TARDIS. Uh, they obviously then land uh, on this sandminder where... They obviously... You keep saying minder. Is it minder? Minor. It's minor. I know, I know. Sand minor. Uh, they sort of land inside it. The Doctor then obviously wants to go off and explore it. He does. And this time we get what I said last time about the innocence of Leela and that sort of um, savage type... Um, what's the word? It's kind of like a savage mentality, I think it's the word. Yeah. She, she obviously is from a tribe which killed mm, and forages. She to be very equipped with that knife. Yeah, and she's got that knife on her, obviously. But this time she actually wants to take a gun, which I said I knew this would come back at some point. That Obviously, the Doctor's a bit of a pacifist. He don't like guns, and he says that at this point. The gun is to stay in the TARDIS because he doesn't use guns. And he says, doesn't he say something about like the most of the people we, f- we meet are actually all right? He yeah. goes, but most of them. So, you know, to be fair, the most of the people the Doctor meet, I don't think are all right. There's always got to be like a villain. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's like most of the time, they're always in the wrong time, wrong place, and half the time then you end up still saving their asses, and then they're all right with them. Mm. So the TARDIS and the Doctor and Leela, they've all landed in what I can guess is, they call it the front scoop. So I'm guessing it's where, obviously, they're mining for this ore, and I'm guessing it gets like sucked into the front. That's a sand scoop. Yeah, sand scoop, or whatever you want to call it. Um, but it doesn't stay there long because they obviously up in the the crew deck they detect this thing and uh, like uh, a claw arm thing comes down and takes the TARDIS somewhere else and then the Doctor and Leela end up getting out and as they always seem to do get captured so we find that we find a bit of the background of the crew it seems that money is more important than say the murders because this one guy he's um he gets he gets murdered by a red-eyed robot. Now, we find out, obviously, for the course of the serial that these robots are being controlled by somebody called Torren. I think it's Torren Capel, who is like a mad robotic scientist who's stowed aboard this sand miner to control... I don't know why he's well, there. he's not really stored, um, stowed, stowed away. Well, I thought he did. Cause no, because it ended up being that that guy... Um, Dax. Das. What? Da- uh, I did write it down. It was. Um, Dax. 
Dask. Dask. He was actually the mad scientist. Yes. So obviously, so he one weren't exactly stowed away. He just kind of changed his name. Well, he kind of was a stowaway because, as well, we, no, because he was part of the crew. As we go through the uh, the serial, we find out that one of the Doms, the ones that can't speak, D eight four, is working with another one of the crew called Pool. Um, he wasn't actually part of the crew. He was actually working for um some insider company. Well, they're kind of like spies, aren't yeah. they? Anyway, he's on there, and we find out through him that he says that uh, that this Capel is mm-hmm. on board, but nobody knows what he looks like. So one of the crew could have been replaced by him, is what they said. So to me, that's kind of like a stowaway. Mm. I don't know. It, it's to be fair it, to me, it wasn't very clear why he's actually on board. I don't know, maybe because he repairs the robots, you don't know. Well, is it because he wants to reprogram all these robots to take over the world? I don't really know why he's there. Again, listeners, if you know why um, Capel is actually on board the sand miner, then let us know in the comments on Twitter and Facebook and all that, because I'm at a loss. I might have missed that bit about why he's actually on board. But as far as I know, I didn't really either didn't pay attention to that bit probably didn't pay attention to that bit or they didn't really say why he was there but um yeah so it's a little bit of a whodunit mystery every time somebody dies there's one of these red discs placed on the body which is like a robot deactivator button thing i don't really know why these are left on the bodies even uh um i saw like they say in austin powers with that um Irish guy, every time he kills someone, he leaves one of his lucky charms from his bracelet mm. on a dead body. Yeah, it's it, pretty much the same principle. Is it a calling card then? Yeah. To say, it's a little bit of a strange plot device, to be fair. Well, it's the same with like some Sherlock Holmes and stuff like that. Yeah, I did find that this one is very Sherlock Holmes Ian, with the story of a whodunit Yeah, well, you mystery. like, you know me, I like Sherlock Holmes. But if you do so. pay attention throughout, like, the beginning to the end, you can kind of figure out who it is. Yeah. Um, because he disappears for most of the story. As everyone's dying around him, he's the only survivor, and he's the one that disappears for a while. So it's not very mm. difficult to uh, figure out who it is. Um, yeah, so, like I say... As always in Doctor Who, it seems, the Doctor and his companion are always mistaken for the murders, murderers or the people involved. No uh, different here in The Robots of Death. They are perceived as the murderers. The Doctor obviously has to sort of like prove that he's not the person doing it by using his like sort of superior intellect. There's a nice little moment with Jelly Babies again where he asks them, would they like a jelly baby? It seems to be throughout this season, yeah, he's saying it a lot. was it? He actually basically knocked all his jelly babies out of the bag. Yes, I know. Uh, it's like, well, yeah, because on a mining planet, on a desert planet, how the hell is he going to get hold of more jelly babies? Now, I'm thinking, uh, we've done so many episodes now, I think right back at the beginning, the very beginning of Regenerated, with the introduction, I'm thinking, I'm not, I'm, I'm sure I used it, uh, that scene where he asks him, would you like a jelly baby? And he says, shut up and knocks him out of his hand. And he just says a simple no with suffice. I swear I used that at the very, very beginning. Well, that's where this scene has come from here. So it took all them episodes to get up to it, but we finally got up to that scene. I, I think it's in the intro. Yeah, I, I but think I did use it at one point. 
you know, it's kind of, it's kind of ironic really because the only thing I can think of is obviously where he has something to eat in the TARDIS and there's that like food thing in the TARDIS. Hmm. Yes. Uh, and maybe he's got pockets like Mary Poppins' bag. It's just endless. Yeah, but surely they'd go off. Well, I don't know. They're sort of gelatine, aren't they? So I don't know if uh, gelatine goes off Well, yeah, it's or not, beef so. gelatin, isn't it? Well, I don't know. Uh, I think the end of gelatin's episode... made out of like um, animal parts. I thought it was like animal fat. No, it pork was... fat or something. Well, a lot of things are actually made from um, beef gelatin rather than pork a lot of the time, and they're actually made out of things like trotters, hooves, um, like what do you call it? Um, ligaments, um, cartilage, all that sort of stuff. Mm. Well, there you go, listeners. Enjoy your next bag of jelly babies. Or marshmallows or anything that contains gelatin. Yes, so enjoy Me, in the future. I like a bit of gelatin, so oh. in any form. Anyway. Um, Especially move. my nice orange jelly I had for my tea. Moving on before you turn the listeners off to jelly babies and other things. But I like jelly the, babies. The end of episode one has quite an iconic cliffhanger, I would say. Or just people remember it when they're eating the Harry Bow. Mm. <laughs> yes. Uh, iconic cliffhanger for episode one, I think, where he's in the silo. He gets trapped in there because there's a dead body and there he goes to investigate the dead body. You know what they say? Only for then the silo to start filling up with this sort of sand grain, whatever it is. And I think that's the iconic... Uh, Iconic ending. People, I think people say you remember. should use uh, all of an animal and waste and not waste any. Mm. Well, I don't know. Do you waste what, when you have a turkey at Christmas? Do you waste it? Oh well, you don't, skeleton. Eat the, you don't eat them innards, the giblets. Well, no, because one ill, and two, there's also this other little thing called. My nanny already whinges at me for not giving her the giblets and the skeleton anyway, because she uses them as stock for her soups. Mm. Yes. Uh, in episode two, uh, we did mention I did mention this last week. There was a scene in the face of evil, which kind of had uh, it's it's a little bit difficult. I'm not sure. With and you know what old people are like; they look awful. With the the amount of violence that's in like telly nowadays, it's not so hard to to view it. But it's or to me, it's always I think it's frowned upon. Uh, last week we had a, a scene where Leela was slapped in the face, but then mm. the doctor got his own back on uh, that person. This week it happens again. I've noticed it's two for two now with Leela. She gets slapped across the face again by the commander of the sand mine. He slaps her in the face, only for her to kick him back. But is that like for like? I don't really know. It's a little bit different. I don't different know. It depends week, where she it? kicked him. Well, she kicked him on the leg, I think. I don't know. I thought it was a bit higher than that. No, I think it's on the leg. A uh, yeah. little bit, little bit different from last week. Obviously, the doctor helped out Leela. Should have kicked kicking, him in the gonads. Kicking the hoarder onto the back of the person who slapped Leela. That's kind of like for like. I think this week, I don't think that the guy who did it kind of should have got away with it like he did i think he did get away with it more so and i don't think it's mm. right that i know it's the 70s but you know in a, in a sort of yeah but it's always fam- gonna, is it's it family friendly would you say doctor who's back in the 70s family friendly program it's not good to strike a woman i don't think oh yeah but the thing is it's never good to basically do that sort of thing in any regard but the point is 
at the end of the day, there are still going to be people outside who do things like that, regardless of whether it's on TV or not. I know, I know, but I'm just saying... So sometimes, that's like like saying, oh, you're watching EastEnders, but they shouldn't show murders and things like that, or rape scenes or anything like that, when it's actually just stuff that happens in real life. Yes, and I understand that, but it's like also the, the... the death count in this this serial is quite high as well. There's quite a lot of death and yeah. Uh, would you, I'd, and then, I'd go so far as saying there's a lot of violence in this yeah, one because of the strangling of the robots on the humans. We all know about AI. We've seen iRobot, and we've seen things where robots like to take over and kill humanity, and still people try and create robots. Mm. Just saying. So learn from films. They're there for a reason. Yes, I just, I just like to look at the social commentary. Com- because social... they're just how hovering with a massive case of "I told you so." Yeah, I like to look at the social comment uh, commentary at the time. I just don't know whether striking a woman now two times in a row is um, for a family-friendly program. Hmm. Is it appropriate? I don't really know. Again, listeners, let me know what you think about that. I just like to comment on these sort of things. Um, one thing I will comment on that is the. Ethnic um, equality in this one's quite good. They had an Indian. Um, one of the crew members was in, in uh, was Indian, uh, so so I know he was Indian. You know, I don't. It's a bit of a stereotype, that I suppose he could have been from anywhere from that type of sort of region of the world. But anyway, he was sort of um, representative. Re- representative. That's the right word i think mm. and there was a, a black lady in this one as well which i thought was very good equality we don't really see that very much in doctor who and the bbc in the 70s when it's very much male a white male dominated sort of time i would say yeah um but then again like I say look at now and look at shooty gatwa the first black no, sorry, second black doctor, because you had the fugitive doctor as well. She was black. Um, but the the first predominant doctor is now black. So it's nice to see that we've got that equality there. So, yeah, I just like to sort of um, like to sort of make reference to little things like that. I think that you would say are a little bit maybe hard watching, I think. But back then it was probably socially accepted. I. Well, yeah, because obviously a lot of it was, especially in the 60s, there was a lot of repression with regards to um, a lot of different ethnicities. Mm. So the fact of actually having people as actors um, with different ethnicities actually coming in onto TV and things like that, where and actually having everything integrated rather than you know Mm. constant separation yeah so it's just you know that's the funny how you know what you just say it was 77 yeah that's what i mean you know in the sort of six you know in the 60s everything was so heavily segregated that you know it's funny how things can change and you know well, few, I think from I think from sixty three when it started to now seventy seven, there's a lot more, um, there's a lot more ethnic representation more so now yeah, than definitely. what there was. 
there was more like you know the henchman was a black man you know or whatever you know now they are actually now getting equal like for like roles oh yeah you definitely know, they were part because of the crew, like in, in the know. earlier ones you know it was always the um ethnic people you know that were bumped off yeah exactly. and characters but that were killed off that being so... said the two the two ethnic representative characters and actors were actually killed um <laughs> that's that's the only problem but they had an equal share role because there yeah, were other people you, that died like, you know. like in, um there's a lot of things like with South Park and even Gone with the Wind and things like that where they had um you know other ethnicities in armies or in um you know like um civil war and things like that in America and they were used as cannon fodder mm. before anyone else and they were on the front lines before anyone else and most of them died before anyone else yeah and that was, you know, very harshly represented. But, you know, that's just uh, unfortunate. Obviously, Gone with the Wind was, you know, set a lot, many, 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 many years ago. Well, it was set but, during the American Civil well, War. Yeah, that's what I mean. But then you got things like South Park and stuff as well that just sort of take the mick out of that mm. and just says about using um black people as cannon fodder and things like that. And it's just like, you know... It's it's just really cruel. Mm, yes, but hopefully in the future, as we go through Doctor Who, we'll see a bit more of that equality creeping yeah, in. It's, it is coming in. You know, like we said, that's the thing. That's, women that's, that's are being thing. representative a lot better in Doctor Who than what they were. Well, and come now on, we've ha- we've had a female well. Doctor. We've had women being more stronger as companions. We've also been um. There's been sort of female leaders in places that they've visited um or other planets and things like that there's been um you know and not only that even going with the fugitive doctor like you said mm-hmm. and then jodie whittaker and having that female representation there but now as well with shooty gatwa actually being a very predominant you know um black male role model for you know and actually being the doctor not just a companion not you know like mickey or something like that or not just you know someone in a story it's actually the main focus and you know obviously i'm still undetermined whether he's actually gay or not well he's very private about his at the end of the day sexuality whether whether he is or not, that's completely unrelated. But if he is, then, you know, that's another thing of, you know, how far we've come. Because in the 60s, they would have no way cast, one, a black man, or two, one who was homosexual mm. as the doctor. No. So how far things have come in, like, 60 years is amazing. Yes, and I think Russell T. Davis has a lot to do with yeah, it. Yeah, well, definitely. So. It's just weird to see how we've come from that. At the end of the day, like he's that, the so. showrunner, and it's his say on who's the doctor and you know that sort of thing. So you know, we've got a lot. Of him yeah, to but thank to be fair, that equality. is a you know massive kudos to him on that one because mm. you know I said that about when they were rumored about Ollie Alexander doing it, and I said to be fair, that would be a brilliant move forward. 
because of you know actual equality with yeah. things yeah so uh moving on to we've talked about a little bit about the robots and about what they look like also i've got to say they're still shiny um, yeah the if the effect I really, really liked was where it's basically a model shot and they have like a little bit of live action overlaid. So yeah, it but looks that's like the thing. they're in it. That's, they they look really very good. quilted, as you say, but then they still look very shiny. But what made me laugh is like sort of. They had Tim in, Foyle in the around the boots as well. So. Yeah, that was like, really dodgy. But the end bit kind of made me laugh a little because when Dask signed of. Has the makeup on well, his face. He goes face. full mad, doesn't he, at the end, yes. The green bit is severely patchy. <laughs> the silver bit, if you notice, is drawn on on the wonk. And it just looks terrible. Well, we'll get on to that bit in a minute. I want to just, before we get on to no, that, the talk about... Just awful. I wanted to talk about the restraints. The Doctor and oh, Leela are placed into these restraint straps that obviously are supposed, supposed to be, be magnetic. Metal. And they're supposed to be metal, aren't they? Yeah, it's supposed but to be magnetic. But you can see that Louise Jameson, uh, obviously Leela, is kind of holding it together at one point. You can see she's sort of holding it as if to say, if I let go, it's going to split apart. Yeah, but that might just be that she's holding it to try and, you know... They didn't, look the, they didn't look the most secure of braces. Oh, no. They look like... To me, on to be honest, it looks like something off Blue Peter where they've actually just put it around, like, sort of like some cardboard tube or something and that they've covered it in tin foil. Mm. Yes. So. Or paper mache it. Yeah. Well, well, they spent all the budget on the robots. There was like nine of them. That's one thing I will say about this serial that I like it. Like, not be funny. We've seen uh, in back in, uh, I think it was like... Um, Actually, it was 10 robots. Like, uh, what was it? Um, I don't think it's Evil of the Daleks. It was the other one. But there was ah. loads of like cardboard cutout Daleks. And there was only like three Daleks actually in the actual serial. But when oh. you get like nine nine robots... And nine people dressed up as robots walking around the set. It actually gives That's it more. That's got to be in that. It, well, it gives it more real, not realism. Well, it's Doctor Who, you know. But it, it, Doctor Who is far fetched, you know. But it means you can lose yourself more in the story if there's more. Like if there was only one Cyberman walking around, then you wouldn't. Mm. You know, you just don't get lost in it. But when they fill the actual set with more characters and more robots and that sort of thing, it's actually it gives it more weight behind it i think so yeah there were quite a few i think it was nine in the end but let's say they all had different numbers so when we find out and figure out that you know taron carpel he's now this like mad robotic guy who's reprogramming all these uh robots and sv7 is now the leader of the robots you know trying to sort of give them all direction uh direct yeah directions via capel and all that they're leads into kind of the ending now as everyone's sort of dying around them it sort of builds up to the sort of crescendo where like you said like, but he says you know carpel does go a bit mad he sort of paints his face green and silver and tries to be like a robot basically and the doctor has to then come up as he does again he likes a device does our doctor he likes to make a device which he does he makes like a destruct like a uh, like um uh, it's not a destruct- destructor device thing, but basically when it's activated, it blows the heads up of the robots, um, including... Deactivator. Yeah, deactivator, there you go. Uh, the D84, I think, isn't the sort of greeny black one. 
yeah. he's on their side he's on the doctor's side um they sort of basically sv7 and capel sort of programs the robots to kill all humans the doctor hides leela in a cupboard with some helium gas so it changes capel's voice so that when the robots come in to kill humans he can't then use his voice recognition to stop them from killing him so that's kind of the ending and then the doctor obviously gets one of them big spike things which is used for reprogramming the the robots to stab it in the head and that's kind of the end of the episode as the doctor and leela leave once again in the tardis i do always think with doctor who the ending is very abrupt they kind of use a device to overthrow and destroy the villain or defeat the robots or the Cybermen or whatever. And then they just sort of sulk off and get in the TARDIS and leave. That's kind of the ending. Um, that kind of happens every, every kind of week. They did that last week as well. Um, so, yeah, like I said, that is robots of death in a nutshell. Um, picked through a few of the bits that we really like. I think the effects on this one are, they're minimal, and I think that's why they work. It's not an effects-heavy show. There's a couple of scenes of overlay with models, and then they obviously use the robots more so than anything. And I think it works a lot better than having it just riddled with effects. You know, so Robots of Death, Becky, now that we've sort of gone through a little sort of nutshell look at it, what do you think of the Robots of Death? I think it's kind of interesting. I think the premise is really, really good. Yeah. I know it's very much been redone to nauseam now. And I think this is at the time when uh, Space Odyssey's 2001 was out and they had like a manic computer gone mad. You know, it's kind of the same sort of thing. But it's kind of... Well, I don't know. I've never the ro- seen that. The, the robots are like running, running Riot, but they aren't really. I've never seen Space Odyssey, so I wouldn't know. No, but I have, so... Um, the robots have just been reprogrammed. They're not really sort of Gone broke manic. their yeah. They're not really broke their programming and just destroyed sort it to up, unlike, overthrow the unlike humans. Unlike itchy and scratchy land, then yeah, basically where they just go mental and start killing people. Yeah, it's not like that. It's kind of they've been reprogrammed by this guy. So, um, as stories go, it's no. You know, it's a, it's a given that after last week's um, Face of Evil, which was absolutely... Uh, Diabolical. Yeah, that's not a very, very good uh, story whatsoever. I do think that um, this one has really stepped up to the mark. Uh, a little bit of um, trivia for you. Terran Capel, his name actually comes from Karen Kapek, who actually was the first person to introduce the word robot. So it's a nice little, like trivia piece there so as far as robot stories go we've seen a few robot stories now like you said with mm-hmm. like the chumleys and robots as, as in the doctor's first serial or tom baker's first serial the ro- the robot it's a it's a very massive jump i would say from robot with a big massive cardboard wrapped in tin foil man you know man in a suit to these sort of things that do actually look quite like she says they are creepy mechanical men they are quite creepy and i think mm. they do have an element of the very early cyberman where it was basically a sock and you saw his eye and i think that having that human element to it 
made that first iteration of the Cybermen more creepier than I think anything that's come since. Um, they kind of had that element here because their mouths don't move, but they speak. You know, and I think mm. I think when they just have like a stone face that doesn't move, doesn't show emotion, doesn't show you know you anything. I do think it works a lot better than and having. One thing that did remind me of, although it's kind of in the future, is um the sort of clockwork dummy things in the one where the girl in the fireplace. Mm, yes. Well, again, it's just it's all homage, isn't it? You know, it's yeah. all you know from the classics. There's things that are taken. You know, the people writing it now are fans of the classics. You know, so and this is a quite a predominant one in Tom Baker's role. It's one again that if you say to fans, "Give us your top ten or top five Tom Baker serials," this is in there. Because it is an absolutely brilliant story in my eyes. Yeah. This is this is a Tom Baker classic story. This is like one of his best stories up there with Genesis in my eyes as one of the That's better the ones. Thing. I think to make a good Tom Baker story, you not only have you got to have a good story in itself, but you've also got to have um, the villain. You've also got to have a pl- good plot and things like that. But also... You need Tom Baker to be on par because if he ain't got his quick-witted responses in, you know, coming off the bat on point every single time, then that can just make it just as crap. You know, so that's the thing. I I think in the last episode, he was quite lacking in that, whereas this time, that's like he's made up for it and then some. I do find that if... You know, like I say, I really enjoyed the story. I think the story is like one of his best. Yeah. If we're going to do what we do, which is critique things, and we're going to go for the nit, the nitpicking and that, I'd say the one thing that lets it down is Leela, to be fair, because Leela doesn't really do much. Yeah, I She's agree. She's very much the but companion I do, I do in quotation. Think, I do, like I'd say, I do think that in the previous serial... He wasn't very quick off the mark with a certain few things and he seemed kind of lacking in that department whereas this time with the quick wit and things like that and the things he was coming out with were just so sharp and just one after the other after the other and it was just so on point. The, it I was think, like, it was like you know, it was... Do you know what it, it is? Was I like think, he was making up for it. Do you know what I think it is? I think Tom Baker is he's a very intelligent guy. Oh, I think when he reads the scripts, he knows what's a crap serial and what's a good serial. And when he knows he's got a good serial or he a can potential, put into it. when he's got the potential of a good serial and he likes the story, it comes across on the screen. Oh, yeah, definitely. And you can see, like, I don't think last week he kind of knew, he didn't really think that was going to be a good serial. Um, so it kind of comes across that he's not bothered not well i wouldn't say he's not bothered i'm not going to say tom baker never put oh no i'm not saying that at all it. because I think you he know did, but so that's the thing tom baker is an incredible actor and it's more of an excitement you know, i think in the in the serial there's more of an excitement in robots i don't know i don't know baker. what it is i say i think you know like i like you say yeah he still does it credit and things like that and you know he still obviously does his job and things like that but i can understand what you're saying about have probably have more excitement on the serial script with this one because I don't know, it's just sort of his persona and mm. his sort of like I don't know, you kind of get a sense of it. 
yeah, I just think it's like more of an excitement, you know, that comes across. Um, yeah. Some of the names I think were quite a bit weird, but they're quite standard as well. You got Yuvanov, Tuz, Dask, who's Taron Capel. You got Chub, Borg, Cass, Pool, Zilda, um, and then obviously there's D eight four and SV seven, who are the two robots. It's a bit strange the names, not overly uh, futuristic, I would say. Not really. There's the Borg. So Star Trek, you owe Doctor Who again a um a royalty there they they named your your alien species borg for you um so yeah like i say i just think this one it's felt i think when you watch it it's felt that there's an excitement with it and that there's a lot of effort put into it so talking of effort and things like that uh verdict from mark campbell's episode guide uh for new listeners uh we'll just reiterate i haven't done it for quite a while but i've got a book that's uh by somebody called mark campbell who's gone through every episode um up to the 11th doctor and he gives basically like some of the logistic stuff about the cast he gives like um an, a verdict at the very end where he gives it a rating so i like to read the verdict to get uh, another person's opinion on the show and this one says fabulous design work hugely suspenseful music and a very believable scenario make this one of the program's most durable tales. The killer may be obvious, but the tension is wrung out to the bitter end. And he gave it a 10 out of 10. So good full marks from Mark Campbell there. I think he's kind of right for, again, new people. Um, We kind of disagree with the verdicts um, that Mark Campbell gives sometimes, not all the time, Mm. um, but I think this time he's probably got it on point. Um, I would say it's up there with Genesis as a 10. I think it is a very good story. Um, and it doesn't drag. That's one of the things that I think is very obvious with this story. Yeah. Is that it doesn't drag. You never look at your, you never look at your watch and you think, oh God, is this now over? Is it nearly over? A bit like Face of Evil last week. It was kind of difficult to get through because it just sort of dragged on. The story wasn't that great. It was just basically to serve a purpose, which was to introduce Leela as a new companion. And once they've done that, they go and smash in a, a 10 out of 10 story. You know, it's like you say, you can tell that Face of Evil was basically to serve a purpose. And it's amazing for me to think the Face of Evil and this one written by the same guy. Yeah. That's amazing. How can you go from a stinker to a brilliant story? It's amazing, isn't it? Um but yeah, like I said, um, let us know in the comments and social medias what you thought of the Robots of Death. Does it still still live up to the hype? Um, I kind of think it does. I think after now watching it again for, I don't know what it is now, the third, fourth time. This is one of my favourites from Tom Baker's run. And um, yeah, let us know what you thought of it. And next week's serial is the finale of the season. So it's a bit, yeah, it's a bit strange to get through um, the season. It, it does feel quite quickly, but we did have a week's break. Um, so if we go through quickly what we have been, well, we've got um, a little bit of time at the end of the podcast. So there was The Mask of Mondragon, Mondragora, uh, The Hand of Fear, The Deadly Assassin, last week's The Face of Evil, this one's The Robots of Death, and next week's is The Talons of Wenxian. 
I think that's how you say it. I'm yeah. I'm going to find out next week when we listen uh, when we watch that one if I murder that um, throughout the whole podcast. But again, thinking back, I think this one's not too bad one either from my point of view anyway. We'll see what you thought about it, Becky, when we get to it. And then obviously we'll do a wrap-up of the season and then we'll look at season... Oh, now you're testing me. 15, I think it is. So um, I would say we're kind of halfway through. Uh, yeah, definitely. Tom Baker, I think he went only to season uh, 18. So he did seven seasons and he started at season, what, 12, I think. So, yeah, we're about halfway through, nearly halfway through. So, yeah, so we'll have to, I think next week as well, we'll have to have a uh, sort of update on where we think Tom Baker, where he is, where he's at at the minute. Is he doing really well? Is he in the middle? There is a point where Tom Baker does sort of slip a little bit towards the end. Um, we might have to sort of maybe do like um, a sort of, catch up because there is quite a few serial he, he did quite a few series he was there for what seven eight years so you know he did quite a few seasons yeah so it'd be nice to do an episode where we just sort of go through what we've watched so far i think instead of doing one big one at the end i think it's nice to do half and half just to split it so we might do that at the end of next uh next week's episode to make it a little bit of a longer podcast i think and just sort of go through what we've watched and what we thought of each one and you know like we normally kind of do at the end of the doctor's run yeah but anyway i think we'll leave it there so thank you all for listening and we will catch you all next time so i'll say goodbye and say goodbye becky bye-bye bye-bye <laughs>